السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد respected listeners assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh as promised the subject of today's speech is justice in judgment to be just in our judgment this isn't a, an abstract topic it's something very practical very relevant and personal to everyone else when i say judgment i'm not referring so much to legal judgment <coughs> when i speak of justice i'm not just referring to grand justice or justice in law rather this justice that we will be discussing today and this judgment that we will be discussing today both this justice and this judgment are something very personal and relevant to us very practical very individual for judgment is something we engage in all the time as soon as something meets our senses we come to a conclusion we make a decision we form an opinion when we see someone when we listen to someone when we hear something about someone automatically we form an opinion we draw a conclusion we make a judgment about that individual and this happens all the time and one of the things islam teaches us is to be very conscious and self-aware and part of this consciousness and self-awareness is that we even monitor our thoughts we are careful of what we think and what we feel for this is a meaning of taqwa part of taqwa taqwa means to guard oneself against the displeasure of allah 
by guarding oneself against the disobedience of Allah. And the disobedience of Allah is not just by limbs, it's not just in flesh. The disobedience of Allah is also by tongue, by the mind, and by the heart. So just as we are careful of what we eat, what we drink, what we do with our hands and feet, and we try to ensure that none of these actions displease Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we have an equal obligation to ensure that our speech does not displease Allah. That our thoughts are not wrong. Our feelings are not wrong. Only then will this be considered taqwa. For when it comes to obedience and disobedience, when it comes to halal and haram, when it comes to virtue and sin, when it comes to virtue and vice, Islam makes no distinction between sins of the flesh and sins of the tongue and sins of the mind and the heart. So judgment is something we do all the time, even though we may not be very aware or conscious of it. And when we speak of the topic of being just in judgment, that means that we have to ensure that any time we come to a conclusion about someone, we draw a conclusion, we form an opinion, we make a judgment in our minds, which we may not even share with anybody else, we have to ensure that we remain just in this judgment. The topic of justice is vast, the topic of judgment is vast, and I won't touch upon the other aspects of these two great topics. I'll focus on just this. Our perceptions of other people, our views of other people, our judgments that we make in our minds and hearts of other people, conclusions that we draw of other people, and how we are obliged to ensure that these conclusions, these opinions, these views, these feelings and sentiments even, towards other people, and these judgments are just and upright. The antonym of justice is dhulm, oppression. And dhulm in all its forms is haram. And if we draw the wrong conclusion, or if we are unfair and unjust in the conclusions that we draw about anyone, or the judgments we make of them, then this won't be an innocent sin. We would be guilty of dhulm towards that person. Justice is something which is central to many of the teachings of religion. In fact, the entire universe, people speak of the constants and the laws of the universe. The universal constants and laws 
on which the universe is founded. Well, Allah mentions one of these constants and laws, and one of the foundations on which the universe is actually founded, and that is justice and balance and equilibrium. Allah says, Ar-Rahman, in Surah Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahman, Allama al-Qur'an, Khalaq al-Insan, Allama al-Bayan, Al-Shams wal-Qamr bi-Husban, Wal-Najm wal-Shajr yasjudan, Wal-Samaa rafa'aha wa wada'a al-Mizan, Alla tadghaw fil-Mizan, Wa-Aqeemu al-Wazna bil-Qist, Wala tukhsiru al-Mizan. Here, Allah, I'll translate, Allah says, Ar-Rahman, the gracious one, He taught the Qur'an, he created man. He taught him speech. Then Allah says, the sun and the moon are by precise calculation. SubhanAllah. The sun and the moon are by precise calculation. وَالنَّجْمُ وَالشَّجْرَ يَسْجُدَامُ And the plants and the trees prostrate to Allah. That's one meaning. And the other meaning is, and the sun and the stars and the trees prostrate to Allah. For those of you who know Arabic, you may be surprised. Najm does mean star, but in this context, Najm refers to that which grows from the ground. So... Plants and trees, or it could be stars and trees. The stars and trees prostrate to Allah. Allah then says, And the sky, Allah has raised it. And Allah has established Al-Mizan, the scales of justice. Why? So that you may not transgress in the scales of justice. And establish the scales or the weight with justice. And do not cause a shortfall in the scales. Now, then Allah speaks about the earth and the fruits of the earth. One may ponder that, how are these verses connected? In one and the same context, Allah speaks of the stars, the trees, the heavens, the earth. The sun and the moon. And Allah also continuously in the same context speaks of justice and mizan, mizan, mizan. This word is repeated again and again. So what's the connection? It's very simple. As Allah says, the universe, its laws and its constants are amazingly precise. The orbit of the sun, the movement of the heavenly bodies, the orbits of the sun and the moon, the orbits of the earth, the positioning of all these planetary bodies, their 
equidistance. Their distance from each other. All of this is by precise calculation. Any closer, any further on earth. If we were any further from the sun, there would be no life on earth. If we would be any closer to the sun, there would be no life on earth. The earth is perfectly positioned for life. The sun and the moon are perfectly positioned to provide gravitational pull. Light, the reflection of light, heat and warmth. And the moon actually has an effect on the planet, on, on the earth, tides, even plant, even plants. So as Allah says, the sun and the moon are by precise calculation. And Allah also speaks of the scales of justice, mizan, mizan, the balance, the balance. Because the whole universe is based on balance, on precise calculations, on an equilibrium. If there is the slightest disruption to this balance, to this equilibrium, what will, hap- what will happen? There will be anarchy. Anarchy in the universe. Carnage, mayhem, destruction. In this context of the heavens, of the earth, of the sun and the moon, Allah speaks about justice on earth. And Allah says, establish the scales of justice. When you weigh, weigh justly. When you measure, measure justly. The connection, what's the connection? The connection is very simple. Since the universe is founded on justice, on balance, on equilibrium, on fairness, on equality. Then, and any disruption to this balance and equilibrium will lead to destruction, carnage and mayhem in the universe. Similarly, on earth. Allah's laws, the relationships that Allah has placed between mankind, this relationship, in fact the very survival of mankind, depends on balance, on equilibrium and justice. Wherever there is an absence of this balance, wherever there is even the slightest disruption to this justice, to this fairness, to this equality, to this equilibrium and balance, then there is anarchy. And that's reflected in the cosmos. It's reflected on earth. This is why justice and balance, fairness and equality are concepts that are core to the teachings of Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa Fairness in everything. Fairness to each other. Justice in law, in relationships, in dealings, in judgment. Even in trading, in buying and selling. Many of the laws of that forbid things such as riba and certain types of transactions and trades, as we covered in Kitab al-Zakah, especially in Kitab al-Buyur, in the commentary of Bukhari. I mentioned them. There are two major principles. Riba and gharar. Virtually all the transactions of Islam complex as they are, prohibitions in financial transactions, in trades, in dealings, in Islam, boil down to 
to just two core concepts. Riba and gharar. And both riba and gharar, riba means unjustifiable excess or increase. And gharar means unjustifiable loss or risk. And both riba and gharar boil down to one single issue, justice. If it's just, it's permissible. If it's unfair, it's not permissible. And remarkably, when it comes to being fair and unfair in financial transactions, the decision is not left to the two parties. Allah and His Rasul make that decision. So, <clears throat> when it comes to transactions of usury, A lends to B, B pays back with interest. It may be extortionate. Both are content. B may not like it, but B is in a position of necessity and is compelled to borrow. But they are both content. Both content and consenting to this transaction. But Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say, it's haram. So the concept of justice in these transactions is not about the contentment and the satisfaction and the pleasure and the agreeability or the consent of the two parties involved. It's what Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam declare to be just or unjust. So subhanAllah, when two people buy and sell, borrow and lend, Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ensure that the scales of justice are established and balance and equilibrium and fairness are all established in this simple transaction. So this is a concept of justice. It's core to many of the teachings of Islam. And like I said, it's a vast topic. I'll concentrate and focus on just one aspect of justice, which is how we view each other, see each other, perceive each other, form opinions about each other, draw conclusions about each other, and as a result, what we feel towards each other. And it's something we do all the time, repeatedly, every single day. We see someone, we draw a conclusion, we form an opinion. We make up our minds. <coughs> we make a judgment. We hear someone, we even hear about, about someone who's absent, and we form an opinion. It's something we do repeatedly, almost unconsciously, automatically. Yet Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam tell us, even in such a simple, regular, almost automatic thing, we have to ensure that we remain just. Justice, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ اللَّهِ يَأْمُرُكُمْ أَنْ تُؤَدُّوا الْأَمَانَاتِ إِلَىٰ أَهْلِهَا وَإِذَا حَكَمْتُمْ بَيْنَ النَّاسِ أَنْ تَحْكُمُوا بِالْعَدْلِ إِنَّ اللَّهِ نِعِمَّا يَعِذَكُمْ بِهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ سَمِيعًا بَصِيرًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Verily Allah instructs you that you return items of trust to their owners. And when you judge between people, Allah instructs you that you judge justly. Beautiful, verily beautiful is that which Allah imparts to you as advice. Verily Allah is all hearing, all seeing. 
Now, when it comes to perception of others, when it comes to drawing conclusions, when it comes to making judgments, as I said, when I say judgments, we're not talking about legal judgments. We're talking about simple, everyday conclusions and judgments and perceptions that we make and have and hold and harbour about people. We have to make sure, we have to ensure that we are just. As humans, we have a tendency to be unfair when we make judgments about ourselves and unfair when we make judgments about others. How? When it comes to ourselves, we are very unfair. We see ourselves as being pious. As being good. As being noble and virtuous. We make excuses for ourselves. Often we see the best in ourselves. And our loved ones. We are generous in our consideration. In our lack of judgment. We are generous in our fairness. So much so that we become unfair. Yet when it comes to others, we apply double standards, different standards. We are unjustly harsh. We never apply those standards to ourselves or to our loved ones. We are always making excuses for ourselves and our friends and our loved ones. We never make the same excuses for others. We entertain and harbour good opinions of ourselves and our loved ones. But never of others, be they strangers or enemies. Yet Allah and His Messenger وسلم, teaches to be upright, balanced, and fair, regardless of who we are making a judgment about. In verse of Surah An Nisa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhal O believers, be establishers of justice. Shuhada alillah, witnesses for the sake of Allah. Walaw ala anfusikum. Even against yourselves. Awil walidain. Or even against your parents. Awil akrabin. Or even against your relatives. Allah says when it comes to judging yourselves, be just, be just in your judgment. Even if it means that justice, that just testimony is against yourselves or your parents or your relatives. Now, imagine how difficult that is. Being just against yourselves means if you have to admit that you are wrong, admit that you are wrong. Accept. We're all human beings. We all make mistakes. No one's perfect. We always change our views. We always retract. may not always retract, but... We should. If we were wrong, we were wrong. 
if we were wrong in a deed, in a statement, in a decision, in our treatment of someone. If we were wrong, we have to accept that we were wrong. It doesn't make us any less. It doesn't diminish us. It makes us better as individuals. We're only human. And in our desire to seek perfection and appear to be perfect, we end up appearing to be fools. So even though we are wrong, we are adamant and insistent that we are right. Merely to save face. And of that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, إِنَّ أَبْغَضَ الرِّجَالِ إِلَى اللَّهِ أَلَدُّ الْخَصِّمِ Indeed the most resented, the most detested person in the sight of Allah is an argumentative, stubborn, obstinate person. And Allah says in the Qur'an, speaking of an individual, وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُ اتَّقِ اللَّهِ أَخْذَتُ الْعِزَّةُ بِالْإِثْنِ فَحَسْبُهُ جَهَنَّمُ وَلَبِئْسَ الْمِهَادِ That when it is said to him, fear Allah, arrogance in sin seizes him. فَحَسْبُهُ جَهَنَّمُ So Jahannam is sufficient for him. An evil abetting it is, evil a paving it is, evil an abode it is for him. What's the meaning of when it is said to him, Fear Allah. Arrogance in sin seizes him. This has many manifestations. One manifestation is as follows. Someone does something wrong or says something. Someone is guilty of some wrongdoing. So when that person is reminded and it's said to him, Fear Allah. Rather than accept their fault, acknowledge their mistake, accept their error. Their arrogance takes over. And that arrogance is extremely sinful. Because that arrogance prevents them from accepting their fault. And they compound their mistake. They compound their problem. They compound their guilt by refusing to accept. And in their arrogance, they become even more sinful, more aggressive, more argumentative, continuing down the road of sin. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, what can be said of such a person? فَحَسْبُهُ جَهَنَّمُ Jahannam is sufficient for them. Because when a person is told, fear Allah, and that doesn't make them stop. Rather, they become, they're not worried about their sin. I'm sure we've all, we've all been in situation our, situations ourselves. Or we've seen others in situations where, remarkably, their sin or their crime is of this magnitude. And if someone tells them, stop doing that, or fear Allah, they can't see the great crime that they have committed or the great sin that they have committed. All they can see is how you are speaking to them. How dare you speak to me like that? Don't you know who I am? Who are you to tell me? That is a prime example of When it is said to him, Fear Allah, arrogance and sin seizes him. 
So we have to be just, even against ourselves. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I accept that I'm wrong. In fact, in a verse of the Quran, well, in a, in a set of verses of the Quran, إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ بِالْحَقِّ لِتَحْكُمُ بَيْنَ النَّاسِ بِمَا أَرَاكَ اللَّهِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, indeed we have revealed the book to you with truth so that you may judge between people with what Allah has shown you. According to some narrations, the backdrop to the revelation of that verse is that Briefly, a Muslim committed the crime of theft. And then he pinned the blame. When he, when he feared being caught, he pinned the blame on a Jewish neighbor. So one neighbor was burgled. And a neighbor, someone was burgled. Soon, suspicion fell on an individual. And he was actually brought before Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, And he was one of the neighbors. So he protested his innocence. Others defended him. Of course, many of them didn't know. They merely assumed that because of a good character, he hadn't committed that particular crime. <laughs> Some of them may have been aware. In any case, he was defended. The Prophet ﷺ exonerated him. And he, but they had, there was a culprit. So that same individual who, who was guilty, but who managed to extricate himself from blame, he pinned the blame on a, Jew, on a Jewish neighbor. So the Jewish neighbor was blamed. Subhanallah. Allah Azza wa revealed these verses of the Quran. And according to some of these narrations, the Prophet ﷺ publicly stood up. And even though previously the Jewish neighbor had been blamed, Rasulullah made a public retraction by the command of Allah Azza wa in favor of the Jew and against the Muslim who then fled from Medina and went to the pagans in Mecca. So, here, two things. Remarkably, Rasulullah after all, he was a messenger of Allah, he stood up and he made a public declaration of retracting his former judgment and making a new judgment. He was a messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, And yet he felt no reservation in standing up publicly and making a retraction, a public retraction. So, if we are wrong, we are wrong. We must accept that. Or our parents, or our loved ones. We are very favorable in our judgment to ourselves, when it comes to ourselves, our families, our loved ones. And yet we are unduly harsh with others. Even though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says it should be exactly the same. Whether you are judging yourself, drawing a conclusion about yourself, making a judgment about yourself or your loved ones or your family members, or an enemy or a stranger, it should all be the same. You must remain just. 
And that's exactly how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was, how he taught the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. This is why in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah An-Nur, in that episode of Umm al-Mu'minin Aisha radiyallahu anha, he tells the believers that when you first heard this rumor, recently, as many of you are aware, we've completed the study of the hadith of Umm al-Mu'minin Aisha radiyallahu anha, the very long hadith in which she speaks of her ordeal of being falsely accused of adultery. And how Allah cleared her name with the revelation of the Qur'an. It was a major episode in the life of the Prophet And referring to that, in a verse of Surah An-Nur, Allah says, لَوْلَا إِذْ سَمِعْتُمُوهُ ظَنَّ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتُ بِأَنفُسِهِمْ خَيْرًا وَقَالُوا هَذَا إِفْكُمْ مُبِينَ Why wasn't it that when you heard this, I, when you heard this rumor, Believing men and believing women did not think good of themselves and say this is a clear lie. This is what's being referred to. And this is illustrated by a story of Abu Yubal Ansari radiallahu anhu and his wife. And according to some narrations, another companion, Abu Yubal Ka'ab radiallahu anhu. In short, one of the companions, namely Abu Yubal Ansari radiallahu anhu, was with his wife. She said to him, have you heard what people are saying about Safwan ibn al-Mu'attal and Aisha radiyallahu anhuma? People are saying that this is what happened. So Abu Ayyub al-Ansari radiyallahu anhu said to her, would you ever commit this sin? She obviously protested vehemently. She was shocked by the suggestion that she would commit that sin. So Abu Ayyub al-Ansari radiyallahu said to her, would you commit this sin? She was shocked at the suggestion and she protested vehemently. So Abu Ayyub al-Ansari radiyallahu succinct reply to her was, فَعَائِشَةُ خَيْرٌ مِّنْكِ Then Aisha is better than you. See what he did. And this is exactly what the Qur'an tells us to do. Before we draw a conclusion about anybody else, before we pass judgment on anybody else, before we form an opinion about anybody else, let us look at ourselves first. And let us be just we should apply the same standard to others as we apply to ourselves. If we are fair with ourselves, or even favorable in our judgment, if we give ourselves leeway, if we make excuses for ourselves, if we, make the, if we think the best of ourselves, then why can't we think the best of others? Why can't we make excuses for others? Why can't we be favorable in our judgment towards others? And what can't, why can't we be just in that we look at ourselves and we say to ourselves, about ourselves, I wouldn't do this. So if you wouldn't do it, 
What makes you so holy and pious that you wouldn't do it? And what makes somebody else so terrible and evil that they would be do it? They would do it. Why is it so distant for you and yet so possible for them? In thinking along these lines, we actually make, we actually commit sin upon sin. So why didn't believing men and believing women think good of themselves? And this is a question. Would you do it? Would your loved ones do it? Can you imagine yourself doing this? Or your father, or your mother, or your brother, or your sister? Or your daughter or son? If you can't contemplate such a thing for yourselves and your loved ones, then... How can you imagine such a thing for somebody else? See the beauty of the Qur'an. The Qur'an simply says, when you heard this rumor, why didn't you think about yourselves first? Because when you think of yourselves, you would never accept this allegation about yourself or your loved ones. So why should you accept it for someone else? That's exactly what Abu Yubal Ansari said. He said, would you do it? No. Well, Aisha is better than you. And end of discussion. If we can be so favorable in our judgment about ourselves, why can't we do the same for others? But unfortunately, we, we have this tendency of assuming the worst about others and accepting only the best about ourselves and our loved ones. And that's completely horror. Just as we think good of ourselves... Or we are balanced in our view of ourselves. We should be balanced in our view of others. We should think good of others. I've mentioned before that fairness, good treatment. In many systems of law throughout the world, even till now, Certain violations are considered violations, but others aren't. So in many systems of law, if you violate someone's right to their property, you, you attempt to deprive them of their property, you rob them of their property, you rob them of their wealth, then that's a crime. If you violate someone's person, by hitting them, whether it's physical abuse or some other form of depraved abuse. But it's physical, it's considered a violation. It's punishable, it's a crime. But rarely in systems of law throughout the world is verbal abuse considered abuse. Is it considered a violation? And only now, with the advent of psychology and psychiatry, are people beginning to recognise the damaging effects of emotional abuse, verbal abuse. But Allah and His Rasul have prohibited all forms of abuse 14 centuries ago. And Islam has recognized the dangers and the harms and the damage 
of all of these forms of abuse. Not just physical, but verbal. And not just verbal. Look how far Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam go. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has taught us that the sanctity of another person's wealth, sorry, the sanctity of another person doesn't just extend to his blood or his wealth and property or his body. The sanctity of a, of a mu'min in Islam, extends all the way to our perception of him. If you, if you injure him, if you kill him, you have violated his life. If you injure him, you have violated his body. If you hit him, you have violated his body. If you deprive him of his wealth, you have violated the sanctity of his wealth. But the Prophet ﷺ goes further and he says, if you think ill of him, you have violated his sanctity also. And how does he demonstrate this? Listen to the following hadith. Abdullah ibn Umar, Imam ibn Majah, they relates a hadith in his sunnah. From Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma. He says, I saw the Prophet ﷺ performing tawaf around the Kaaba. And whilst doing tawaf around the Kaaba, Prophet ﷺ was saying, Ma atyabaki wa ma atyabarihaki, ma a'zamaki wa ma a'zam hurmataki. The Kaaba. How pure are you? And how pure is your fragrance? How great are you? And how great is your sanctity? But by Allah, in whose hands rests the soul of Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, by Allah, the sanctity of a believer is greater in the sight of Allah than the sanctity of the Kaaba. And what's the meaning of the sanctity of a believer? Prophet ﷺ says, his wealth and his blood, and that we do not think anything of him except good. Part of the sanctity of a believer which is greater in the sight of Allah than even the sanctity of the Kaaba is not only his wealth and his life and his property, his blood, but that we only think good of him. If we think ill of another believer, and if we fail to think only good of him, then we have actually violated his sanctity, which is greater than the sanctity of the Kaaba itself. That's how far Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa go in preventing the violation of another person. 
It's not just physical, it's not just material, it's not just wealth. It's even what we actually think of. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Hujarat, Ya ayyuha al-ladheena amunu ajtanibu kathira min al-dhan, inna ba'da al-dhan ithm, wa la tajassasu, wa la yaghdam ba'dukum ba'da. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, the verse ends with cannibalism. But the verse that ends with cannibalism begins with the prohibition of thinking bad about someone. O believers, do not... O believers, abstain excessively from speculation, from conjecture. For indeed, some instances of conjecture are a sin. And then Allah says, do not investigate, do not search for each other's faults, and do not backbite one another. Then Allah compares backbiting to cannibalism. In another hadith related by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim, Rahmatullahi alayhim, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Iyakum madhan fa inna madhan akthabu al-hadith. Wala tahassasu, wala tajassasu, wala tanajishu, wala tahasadu, wala tabagadu, wala tadabaru wa kunu ibadallahi ikhwana. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Beware of conjecture. Beware of speculation. For indeed, speculation is the greatest lie. Then he says, do not eavesdrop. Do not search for one another's faults. Do not undercut or harm one another. I'll explain in a moment. Do not be envious of each other. Do not hate each other. And do not turn your backs towards each other. And be brothers as believers. Sorry, be servants of Allah as brothers. He mentions so many different things. He ends with people turning their backs towards each other, which means absolute enmity. Before that he says, do not hate one another. Before that, do not be envious of one another. Before that, do not undercut one another or try to harm one another. And before that, do not search for one another's faults and do not eavesdrop. There's a very beautiful progression. But before all of that, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, Beware of suspicion. Beware of conjecture. It all begins in the mind. Before we see actual enmity, and violence, before we see hatred, before we see envy, before we see the effects of that envy, before we see active searching for one another's faults, before we see see and witness investigations and eavesdropping, before we see people trying to harm one another and undercut one another, before all of that, its origin is the mind when we first indulge in conjecture and speculation about each other and we do not think good of each other. That's the very beginning. Same in the Hadith, same in the Qur'an. In many teachings, you'll see parallels between the words of the Qur'an and the words of the Hadith. So, 
Allah says in the Quran, the verse that ends in cannibalism begins with abstain excessively from conjecture and speculation. In this hadith in which he mentions so many harmful sins, the Prophet ﷺ begins with the words, Iyakum Maddan, beware of conjecture and speculation. For the greatest conjecture is the greatest lie. This is when we are suspicious of one another. We do not think good of one another. We think ill of one another. And Asad Alex, the others are all very clear. What's the meaning of Walatana Jashu? Do not undercut one another. Or do not harm one another. This is again related to trade. So, Tanajash means bidding. Sorry, it doesn't mean bidding. It means causing a loss to one another. This is often done in bidding, in auctions. Or in any sale. So, the perfect example is bidding. People are bidding. Someone has no intention of buying. But for malicious reasons, or for reasons of profiteering, they make a bid merely to artificially raise and inflate the price. And in doing so, the other person bids higher. So this is inflation of the bidding price. It's completely haram. Wala dana jashu. And examples of this are in normal auctions where someone goes along. They have an interest in the sale being made, either because it's their sale or it's a sale connected to someone, a sale of someone connected to them. They have no intention of buying themselves. And they have nothing against the individual, the other individual who's bidding. But they have a personal vested interest in seeing the price inflated. So they'll bid themselves or they'll get others to bid for them. Anyone who bids merely to inflate the price is committing the sin of Danajrush. And sometimes they have no vested interest. Their only intention is to harm the other individual. That I don't want it, but I want to make sure he pays through the nose for it. So you just raise the price and it's done artificially, merely to inflate the price so that the other person pays more. That's Danajrush. And it's completely haram. And people say that this is quite common on websites where people bid and there are auctions and even in small items. So the seller opens another account and pretends to bid for the same item. Well, it would fall perfectly into the description of Danajush. So, wala Danajush, do not undercut or harm one another. But before all of that, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, beware of conjecture, speculation. <coughs> Thinking good of another person. That's how just we have to be. We can't think ill of someone. The conclusions that we draw, the perceptions that we have, the judgments that we make of one another. It's something we do all the time. How often is it that we hear something about someone? Do we ever stop? Either to research investigate, meaning in a good way, to verify the facts, ascertain the truth, find out the truth, listen to this person's side of the story. We don't. We just accept whatever we hear, whatever we read, and that's our conclusion. That's our judgment. That's what we believe and perceive of them. 
And that is not permissible. And nor is it the case that we are to investigate everything. So, the lowest tier is where people believe that, oh, it's okay, we can just believe whatever we hear about someone, or learn about someone. Then there's a gradual improvement. And the improvement is, oh no, we must find out the truth. But that's still not what Allah and His Rasul teach, even though we may erroneously think it is. Islam doesn't teach us that don't draw a conclusion, don't make a judgment, don't form an opinion about someone until you've investigated, you've researched, you've ascertained the truth, you've verified the facts. No, that is not what Islam teaches us. Even though many of us actually believe that. So what are the verse of the Qur'an in which Allah says in Surah Al-Hujarat, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu in ja'akum fasiqum binaba'in fatabayyanu. Antasibu qawman bijahalatin fatusbihu ala ma fa'altum nadimeen. O believers, if a sinful person comes to you with some news, then ascertain the truth, verify the facts, establish the truth, lest you inflict harm on someone, on a people, without realizing, then you become remorseful and regretful over what you do. So there's that verse which clearly tells us, establish the truth, verify the facts. In another verse of the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِذَا ضَرَبْتُمْ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ فَتَبَيَّنُوا وَلَا تَقُولُوا لِمَنْ أَلْقَى إِلَيْكُمُ السَّلَامَ لَسْتَ مُؤْمِنَا تَبْتَغُونَ عَرَضَ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا فَعِنْدَ اللَّهِ مَغَانِمُ كَثِيرَةِ كَذَلِكَ كُنْتُمْ مِنْ قَبْلِ فَمَنَّ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكُمْ فَتَبَيَّنُوا Again in that verse Allah says, O oh believers, when you travel, establish the truth, verify the facts, ascertain the truth. And do not say to anyone who casts you salam that you are not a believer. Seeking the wealth of the worldly life. For verily, Allah has treasures of wealth. Many. Indeed, you were like this before, so Allah showered His, his favour upon you. So therefore, establish the truth, verify the facts. In that verse, Allah also says, verify the facts, establish the truth. So isn't that what we should do? Before we form an opinion? Before we pass judgment on someone? No, because these verses are related to a certain category. In the, in, I won't go into the details of the verse, of both verses, but very briefly, the first verse of Surah Al-Hujarat in which Allah says, if a sinful person comes to you with some news, then establish the truth, verify the facts, lest you inflict harm on someone. This is to do with when the Prophet ﷺ sent someone to collect payments from a particular tribe. There was some enmity between this individual and that tribe from before. So he feared going to them. So he didn't actually go. And he turned back. 
and falsely reported to the Prophet ﷺ that the tribe is refusing to pay, which was a sign of rebellion. <coughs> so the Prophet ﷺ summoned the Sahaba عنهم, and instructed them to march against them. This would have led to a battle. So Allah revealed the verse of the Qur'an saying, if a sinful person comes with some news, then establish the truth, verify the facts, lest you inflict harm on someone. Another question. Lest someone says, haha, but the verse says, if a sinful person comes, what about if the person is not sinful? So if it's someone trustworthy, i.e. my friend. So, that's what... Our loved ones, our friends are always truthful and trustworthy. And others aren't. So what about if someone who is not a fasib, someone who is not sinful comes? In, in the Qur'an, this is known in Arabic, in tafsir, in hadith. This is known as something called qaydun ittifaqiyun la ishtirati. Which means the clause here of sinful is coincidental, not conditional. Let me give you an example. There's another verse of the Quran, Quran in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Do not compel your maids to prostitution. If they in aradna tahassuna, if they seek chastity. So apparently the verse means that if your maid girls, this is in reference to the time of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, if your maid girl, if your maids seek chastity, then do not compel them to prostitution. See, they had maids so and slave girls. So there were some people who would compel their slave girls to prostitution and their maids to prostitution. They would pimp them. So the, Allah revealed this verse of the Qur'an. And the wording is, وَلَا تُكْرِهُوا فَتَيَاتِكُمْ عَلَى الْبِغَاءِ إِنْ أَرَدْنَ تَحَسُّنَا And do not compel your maid girls to prostitution in if أَرَدْنَ تَحَسُّنَا They seek chastity. <coughs> so, what's the inference of this verse? The reverse inference of this verse is that if they don't seek chastity, then that's fine. Then you can compel them. But no, because again, in aradna tahassuna is qaydun ittifaqiyun la ishtirati. The clause, if they seek chastity, is coincidental, not conditional. Why? Because this verse was a reference to that particular incident where there was an individual who had maids, he was compelling them to prostitution, and worse still, those maids wanted to be chaste and virtuous. So it compounded the sin. So because this verse was a reference to that particular incident, and it was a back, that was a back, 
backdrop to the revelation of this verse, Allah mentions if they seek chastity, he's referring to a particular group, a particular incident. But the clause is not conditional, it's coincidental, referring to that particular incident. So regardless of whether the maid girls wish to be chaste, or they do not wish to be chaste and virtuous, no one had the right to compel them to adultery. So the clause is coincidental, not conditional. Similarly here, when Allah says, إِنْ جَاءَكُمْ فَاسِقٌ If a sinful person comes to you with some news, then establish the truth. Again, there is no reverse inference here. Because Allah is speaking of a particular incident. That individual who came and falsely reported to Rasulullah was lying. So since he was a fasiq and that story was a backdrop to the revelation of this verse and he was sinful, Allah mentions it. But similarly to that verse, the clause is coincidental, not conditional. Regardless of whether the person is sinful or truthful, If they come to you with some news, then establish the truth. Verify the facts. That's one thing we have to understand about this verse. And the other verse is, when Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, they went out on a journey, they met some people, they claimed to be Muslim, the Sahaba were not convinced because of certain things, they ended up fighting with them, and eventually people were killed. It was a very tragic incident, and Allah severely reprimanded those companions radiyallahu anhum and one of the uh, what did Allah say establish the truth verify the facts now in both of these verses there is something very common and prominent which is that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the sahaba radiyallahu anhum were called upon to make a judgment they had to make a judgment. And that judgment was very practical. And it was urgent. That's why Allah says to them, before you make a judgment, you must establish the truth and verify the facts. They weren't simply thinking about someone, is he or she good or bad? That the Prophet ﷺ had to make a formal decision about something for which he was responsible. The Sahaba anhum had to make a formal decision, which was related to battle, which was related to life and death. In these pressing circumstances, they were commanded by Allah, establish the truth, verify the facts. Because it directly concerned them. Where and when something is not directly connected, a person is not concerned with it, then Allah doesn't say, go and investigate, establish the truth, research, verify the facts. No. What does Allah tell us? I'll explain. This is the third tier. This is, a, this is the true teaching of Islam. Which is that you should only verify the facts and only try to ascertain the truth where you are. it concerns you one. It's connected to you, you are responsible, it's part of your responsibility, and you have to make a practical decision. If these conditions don't apply, then you are not even, it's not even lawful for you to talk about it. 
or to become involved in it. Example, what happened with Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha. Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha was falsely accused of adultery. And this is a perfect example, because Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha was the wife of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Her father was Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiyallahu anha. Wasn't she a public figure? Of course she was. She was a public figure. Her husband was the, ma- was the messenger of Allah. Her father was Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu. One could argue that didn't this episode concern the whole community? In a way it did, apparently. Because people could extend the argument and say, well, she is the wife of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, who is the leader, who is the prophet. Her father is Abu Bakr as-Siddiq who is the Prophet's first lieutenant, the second in command, the most prominent Muslim after the Prophet ﷺ. She comes from a prominent family. She is the messenger of Allah's wife. What concerns her concerns him. What concerns him concerns a whole community. So we have a right to know. If our Prophet's wife sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is sinful, then do we desire such a sinful wife for our leader, for our prophet? If she remains in the household, if she is unchaste, if she isn't virtuous, then this concerns all of us because it impacts on every one of us. Anyone could have extended that argument. And apparently all of these arguments seem plausible. Yet, Islam does not entertain any of this. It doesn't matter if she is a public figure. It doesn't matter if she is the daughter of a public figure. It doesn't matter if she is the wife of the leader. It doesn't matter if she is the wife of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah says in Surah An-Nur, وَلَوْلَا إِذْ قُلْتُمْ مَا يَكُونُ لَنَا أَنَّ تَكَلَّمَ بِهَذَا سُبْحَانَكَ هَذَا بُهْتَانٌ عَظِيمٌ Why wasn't it that when you heard this rumor, why didn't you say, it is not even lawful for us to speak of this? May you be glorified, O Allah. This is a great allegation and calumny. This is the true teaching of Islam. When you hear something about someone, when you see something... It's not lawful for you to draw any conclusions. It's not lawful for you to make any judgment. It's haram. As Allah says here, it's not even lawful for them, it wasn't even lawful for them to speak of it, to discuss it. Because it didn't concern them. So then how do we reconcile the two verses? In the one case, Allah is telling us, why didn't you think good of yourselves and dismiss this? Why didn't you dismiss it and refuse to even discuss it and say it's haram for us to discuss it? And yet in the other verses, Allah says, verify the facts, ascertain the truth. So which of the two apply? It's very simple. In virtually, in most cases, for most people, this applies. It's not lawful to indulge in it. It's not lawful to entertain it. It's not lawful to speak of it or to discuss it. It has to be dismissed. The only time when a person can take it on board, verify the facts, ascertain the truth, research the matter, 
is where and when it concerns them directly and it's in their jurisdiction. They are in a position of authority and they must do it. Examples are the husband, the wife in the case of the husband, the father, the mother, not even the younger brother. I gave this example a few weeks ago. If, let's say, the older brother of a family, or the, elder bro- the older brother, commits a sin. Let's say he's accused of committing adultery. And he's married. And the father is alive. Even if the father wasn't alive. What connection does this have with his younger brother? What connection does it have? Nothing. What right does the younger brother have over his older brother in this regard? What jurisdiction does he have? What can he do? Even if he found out all the facts, what could he do? Nothing at all. It doesn't concern him. It concerns a wife. Because she is directly impacted by this. And if the father was alive, the mother was alive of this older brother, then the father and the mother would be involved because this is their child. And this is exactly what happened with the Prophet ﷺ. Who mattered? Only the Prophet ﷺ's opinion mattered on this issue and the opinion of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq and her father and her mother Umm Ruman No one else. The Prophet ﷺ merely sought consolation and reassurance from others. But nobody else was made, had the had the authority to go and investigate and research. Even though, plausibly, as some would make the argument, it concerned all of them. In reality, it didn't. That's why Allah said, why didn't you simply say when you heard this that it's not even lawful for us to discuss it? The people of Medina weren't told, go and verify the facts and ascertain the truth. If, because it concerns your mother, after all, she is the mother of the believers. It concerns your mother, the mother of the believers. It concerns a wife of the Prophet ﷺ. This argument we can make for anybody. If we wish, we could extend this argument to anybody in the world. There's a claim that there are only six degrees of separation. And between two individuals, there are only six points of contact any, between any, most people on earth. Theory of six degrees of separation. So one could argue that, well, you know, it's only six times removed. So every single individual's affairs anywhere on earth concern me. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't allow them to investigate or research this. Allah simply said, you should, why didn't you say it's not permissible or lawful for us to even speak of it? Even though it concerned their mother. So this is the teaching of Islam. 
You are not to involve yourselves. You are not to indulge in any such discussion. You are not to engage in any such discussion. You are not to even entertain these thoughts. Even when you hear these anything, you are supposed to dismiss and think nothing but good of the individual. This is the meaning of husnuddhan, of entertaining a favorable opinion. Only those people who, whom it concerns directly are they to form an opinion, draw a conclusion and make a judgment. And even though they are required to make a judgment, they can't be judgmental. Allahu Akbar. Who could be a man of greater passion and jealousy? Who could be more protective than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Sa'd ibn Ubadah radiyallahu anhu, who was the leader of the Khazraj tribe. The Sahaba radiyallahu anhum told the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, O Prophet of Allah, Sa'd ibn Ubadah radiyallahu anhu made a few harsh comments regarding a particular issue. So the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum told the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, O Messenger of Allah, they were trying to explain Sa'ad's position, that Sa'ad, he is known amongst us, he is a man of immense ghirah, ghirah, a man of immense jealousy and passion and protectiveness. He is, he is a man of such ghirah. In Arabic you can call it ghirah or ghirah. In most Asian languages we refer to it as ghirah, but both pronunciations are correct. Ghirah or ghirah. So he's a man of such ghirah. That in his entire life, he has only ever married a virgin. And people, he is so passionate and protective, and people know the extent of his ghairah to such a degree, that if he has ever divorced a woman, he has only ever married a virgin, and if he has ever divorced a woman, no one else has ever dared to marry her after him. So the Prophet wasallam said to the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, Do you marvel at the ghairah and the protectiveness and the jealousy of Sa'd ibn Ubadah? Then know that I am of a greater ghairah than him, and Allah is of a greater ghairah than me. So who could have been a man of greater ghairah and passion and protectiveness and jealousy than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam? Yet, when he spoke to Aisha radiallahu anha, he sat before and he said, Oh Aisha, such and such a thing has reached me. Allahu Akbar. Nowhere in the narrations of the hadith is it mentioned that he even explicitly mentioned the words. He simply said, قَدْ بَلَغَنِي anki kada wa kada." Oh Aisha, such and such has reached me about you. He did not even mention the words. And imagine his composure. He sat down in front of her and he began by saying, praising Allah and glorifying his name. And then he said to her, Ya Aisha, O Aisha, he even took her name. قَدْ anki kada wa kada, Such and such has reached me about you. فَإِن كُنْتِ بَرِيئَةً فَسَيُبَرِّئُكِ اللَّهِ If you are innocent, Allah will declare your innocence. وَإِن كُنْتِ أَلْمَمْتِ بِذَنْبٍ 
فاستغفر الله وتوب إليه فإن العبد إذا تاب إلى الله تاب الله عليه But O oh Aisha if you have committed a sin then repent unto Allah and seek his forgiveness for when a servant repents unto Allah and seeks his forgiveness Allah turns to him in accepting their repentance He was the husband he was the messenger of Allah the most jealous and passionate of all people the most protective and yet with such composure such decency such compassion and such a non-judgmental nature did he speak to his own wife encouraging her and telling her if you have committed a sin then repent unto Allah he would it directly concerned him and he was saying that even if it was true that's what he would say Allah what right does it give anybody else to judge someone even if they have committed the sin does it if we commit the same sin or any sin remember today's discussion is not about adultery i'm just using the example of ummul mu'minin aisha radhiyallahu anha it could be absolutely anything if we had done what somebody else has done how would we wish to be treated would we want to be treated as we are treating them being judgmental allahu akbar imam bukhari rahmatullahi alayhi relates a hadith it's a very unique hadith this because of all the major books of hadith none of the other authors have actually recorded this hadith imam muslim in his sahih imam tirmidhi imam nasai imam abu dawood ibn majah in their sunan imam darimi rahimahullah in his sunan, even Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal in his collection of over 27,000 hadith, none of these other authors, or even Imam Malik in his muatta, has collected this hadith. So it's quite a unique hadith, this. In all the collections, only Imam Bukhari relates this hadith. And it's from Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu He says that there was a man amongst the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, who was nicknamed Al-Himar, the donkey. Because he used to make the Prophet laugh. And the meaning of making the Prophet of Allah laugh is that he would make him smile. And you know how he would make him smile? It's mentioned in another narration. He would do things such as, he'd visit Medina. He'd come out of the city and he'd visit the center of the city. And he'd go to the marketplace and he'd buy something. He'd buy something, but he wouldn't pay for it. And he'd tell the other person that, I'll, I'll give you the money later or whatever. So he'd buy something, bring it. And sometimes he would buy a package of, a pack of butter. And clarified, well, a container of clarified butter and honey. He'd buy butter and honey, clarified butter, etc. or other things. And he would do this often, and he'd come and give it to the Prophet wasallam, and he'd say, Ya Rasulullah, this is a gift from me. And no sooner had he given the gift, than the shopkeeper would come. And he'd say, give me my money. So he'd say to the Prophet wasallam, Ya Rasulullah, pay him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the Prophet wasallam would say to him, didn't you just give this to me as a gift? 
She said, I did, Ya Rasulullah, but I don't have the money. So the Prophet wasallam would smile. And then he'd pay him. And he'd do this again and again. So Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu says that he was nicknamed Al-Himar, the donkey. And he would make the Prophet wasallam laugh, meaning he would make him smile. Unfortunately, he was caught drinking on a number of occasions and brought before the Messenger وسلم, and he was punished. So on one occasion, again he was brought and he was punished. So whilst he was being punished for having drank, having drunk alcohol, Prophet وسلم, was there. Someone exclaimed loudly, Allahumma al-an. Ma ma bih. Oh Allah, curse him. How many times has he brought like this? So the Prophet said, La tal'anu. For wallahi ma qad alimt. Innahu yuhibbu Allah wa rasoolah. He said, do not curse him. For by Allah, he actually took an oath. This is the messenger of Allah saying, by Allah. What I do know of him is that he loves Allah and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Subhanallah, imagine. He was nicknamed the donkey. He would buy things without paying for them. And then go and give it as a gift to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa When the trader would come to claim his money, he would actually say to the messenger of Allah, pay him. And he would be caught drinking once, twice, on a number of occasions. And despite all of that, someone said, Allah, they, they were frustrated, exasperated. They said, Allahumma al-an, ma akthara ma yu'tabih. Allah curse him. How many times has he brought like this? Prophet wasallam said, do not curse him. For by Allah, what I do know of him is that he loves Allah and his messenger wasallam. Imagine such a person. We're not even thinking ill and imagining and speculating, it was established that this is the way he would behave. It was established that he had drunk. He had drunk. It was established that repeatedly he would be brought and disciplined before the Messenger of Allah. And still, the Prophet ﷺ did not allow them to speak of him in that manner. And he actually ruled in his favor and said, what I by Allah, what I do know is that he loves Allah and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa And there are many other similar stories. So even if someone has committed a sin, what should we think of them then? The only time Islam allows a person to think ill of someone is if they are open the only time you are not required to do husnul dhan, husnul dhan means entertaining a favorable opinion. The only time you are no longer under an obligation to do so is if a person sins openly. If they have no shame, then what shame can you have for them? If they have no self-respect, then what respect can you have for them? If they have not concealed themselves, how can you conceal anything for them? There's nothing left for you to conceal. So if they are shameless, but even then, even then, what can you think of them? You can't judge them. 
It doesn't concern you. Why should you bother? Why should you indulge? Why should you engage in such talk? Subhanallah. These are just some of the teachings about perception and judgment. Forget normal people or strangers, even our enemies, Allah has told us, you can't be unjust towards your enemies. In a verse of Surah Al-Ma'idah, Allah Azza wa Jal says, Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu kunu qawameena lillah, shuhada'a bilqist, wa la yajrimannakum shana'anu qawmin ala Allah ta'adilu, i'adilu, huwa aqrabu lil-taqwa. Wattakullah, inna Allah khabirun bima ta'amaloon, O believers, be establishers, be, wit- be establishers of justice for the sake of Allah. Witnesses of justice. And do not let the enmity or the dislike of any people incite you to committing injustice. Be just. This is closer to taqwa. Verily, Allah is well aware of what you are doing. Even those we dislike, for whatever reason, even those who are actually our enemies, we cannot be unjust even with our enemies. We must be just with ourselves and with others. As I said at the beginning, we like to think good of ourselves. It's quite possible that we may be worse in the sight of Allah and the ones we are judging are better in the sight of Allah. As Allah says in Surah Al-Hujarat, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا يَسْخَرْ قَوْمٍ قَوْمٍ عَسَىٰ أَنْ يَكُونُوا خَيْرًا مِّنْهُمْ وَلَا نِسَاءٌ مِّنْ نِسَاءٍ عَسَىٰ أَنْ يَكُونَ خَيْرًا مِّنْهُمْ O believers, let not a group of men amongst you mock and ridicule another group of men, lest they be better in the sight of Allah than the ones mocking them. And let not a group of women amongst you mock and ridicule another group of women, lest they be better than them. The ones being mocked are better than the ones mocking them. And when we think good of ourselves, Allah Azza wa Jal says, أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ يُزَكُّونَ أَنفُسَهُمْ بَلِ اللَّهُ يُزَكِّ مَنْ يَشَاءُ وَلَا يُذْلْمُونَ فَتِيلًا Have you not seen those who declare themselves to be good and pure? Nay, it is Allah who declares whom he wishes to be pure. And when Allah declares such, وَلَا يُذْلَمُونَ فَتِيلًا They will not be, they will not suffer injustice, even to the measure of a fatil, a thread. And fatil, they will not suffer any injustice. Fatil, have you ever seen a date stone? And if you see the date stone, the groove in the middle, there's a, a very thin thread you find, skin. There's a very thin membrane you find, not over the whole date stone, but inside the groove at the center of a date stone. That membrane, or that thin thread, is known as fatigue. And the wick of a candle or a lantern is also known as fatigue. But that very thin thread, and these are used, these things are used in the Quran. There's a word in the Quran, naqir. If you, if you take a date stone and you look right at the end of the date stone, there's a black dot. That black dot is very tiny, minuscule. It's known as naqir. So Allah uses that in the Quran as well, naqir. And the fatil is the thin thread which is inside the groove at the center of the date stone. So Allah says, وَلَا يُذْلَمُونَ فَتِيلًا Do not declare yourselves to be pious. 
Allah declares whom he wishes to be pure and pious. And when Allah makes his judgment and declaration, وَلَا يُذْلَمُونَ فَتِيلًا They will not suffer any injustice, even to the measure of the thread in the groove of the dates. And Allah says, إِنَّ رَبَّكَ وَاسِعُ الْمَغْفِرَةِ هُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِكُمْ إِذَا شَأَكُمْ مِنَ الْأَرْضِ وَإِذْ أَنْتُمْ أَجِنَّةٌ فِي بُطُونِ أُمَّهَاتِكُمْ فَلَا تُزَكُّوا أَنفُسَكُمْ هُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِمَنِ اتَّقَى Allah says indeed, your Lord is vast of mercy. He is more aware and more knowing of you when He created you from the earth. And when you were fetuses in your mother's wombs. Therefore, فَلَا تُزَكُّوا أَنفُسَكُمْ Do not declare yourselves to be pure and pious. هُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِمَنِ التَّقَى He, Allah, knows better who is the person of taqwa. So, we declare ourselves to be good, pure and pious, and we are judgmental of others. It is highly possible that we are worse in the sight of Allah, and the ones we are judging or thinking ill of are better in the sight of Allah. The only way to avoid this is to not consider ourselves to be so pure and pious, and to be just with ourselves, and to be just in our perception of others. There is a lot more that can be said. I'll end with just one final hadith, in a hadith related by my Muslim in his Sahih, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, إِنَّ الْمُقْسِدِينَ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ عَلَى مَنَابِرَ مِنْ نُورِ عَيَّمِينَ الرَّحْمَانِ عَزَّ وَجَلُ وَكِلْتَا يَدَيْهِ يَمِينَ those who are just, they, verily they will be on members and pulpits of nur and light with Allah. To the right of Allah Azza wa Jal. And both the hands of Allah are right. Who are these people? Those who are just in their judgment and in their families and in any responsibility that they assume. Those who are just, they will be seated on pulpits of nur and light on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to be just in our perceptions and our judgments of other people. May Allah make us amongst those who exercise husn al-dhan, entertaining good and favorable opinions of others. May Allah protect us from the evil of su al-dhan, of harboring suspicions and ill feeling and ill will and ill opinions of others for this is a root of many evils wa sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasulihi nabiyyina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik nashhadu an la ilaha illa ant astaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk this lecture was delivered by sheikh abu yusuf riyadhul haq and has been brought to you by alkotha productions for additional lectures and products please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions, all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.